It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash therapy30. This episode of BGN Radio is brought to you by Clip It, the hottest app that is out there. Watch TV, make clips, and share. For more information, check them out at clipit.tv or check them on Twitter at clipittv. draft is almost comforting every year if you're an NFL fan because there's always one team that you can laugh at and it's the Cleveland Browns since the Browns have been resurrected back in 1999 they have been the biggest example of of ineptitude of futility that you can find and It shows in the very basic numbers of the draft. In the 19 years that they've existed, they've had three number one picks. Ten of them have been in the top five. And all but two of them have been in the top 16. Meaning that in 19 years of existence, the Cleveland Browns have never finished in the top half of a fluid constantly changing, parody-filled NFL. And so you might have wondered the same way that I have. Have the Browns ever had a good draft in their history? Well, when you go back to the Cleveland Browns and really go back, 
you'll find out that not only were the Cleveland Browns a dynasty, but they also had a draft that gave them the greatest player the NFL has ever seen. Hello and welcome to Upon Further Review. I am your host, Vince Quinn, and yes, we're digging into Cleveland Browns history today. I didn't think that I would ever do this. I, you know, honestly, if you had asked me previously, hey, you know, those Cleveland Browns are really interesting. No, sir, but wow. When you go back, I said that Cleveland Browns were a dynasty, and I mean it. The Cleveland Browns, in fact, they were maybe the greatest dynasty that's ever existed in the history of the NFL. And it's not sarcasm. I'm surprised, too. But when the Browns started in 1946, led by Paul Brown as a head coach and Otto Graham at quarterback, the Cleveland Browns made it to 10 consecutive championship games, and they won seven of them. They were a freaking dynasty. This was real. But the thing is, in 1955, after winning back-to-back championships, these were six and seven, Otto Graham decides to retire. And so now you've had the greatest, most stable organization that football has ever seen, and it breaks apart. We have the same thoughts now. What happens with Bill Belichick after Tom Brady? Who made who? Well, when it comes to Paul Brown, who's still coaching the team, does not give it up when Otto Graham retires, you get a small glimpse of that. You get get to see how strong Otto Graham's impact was. Again, a seven-time champion. Because the Browns go from back-to-back champions to five and seven, fourth place in their division. And it gets worse. Because after that 56 season, as they're getting ready for the 1957 NFL draft, they're tied in their division. And so the draft slot's going to be decided by a coin flip. And they lose that to the Pittsburgh Steelers, who, looking back, you know, you'd think it hurts even more. Is this rivalry, it goes back all the way to then. So the Steelers win that coin flip. And when it comes to the 1957 NFL Draft, it puts the Browns in a tough spot because what they want at this time is a quarterback named Len Dawson. Now, Len Dawson was a guy that he played in the uh, Big Ten. It was the division that Paul Brown was familiar with. He had been a college coach with Ohio State, and he could not have waited to get Len Dawson on the team. But losing that coin flip... You're going back one extra slot. And so it's just a little more sweat on the brow. And as the draft goes, they're feeling pretty good. Pick one. Paul Horning goes to the Green Bay Packers. John Arnett, who's a running back, goes to the Rams. A different quarterback named John Bodie goes to the Niners. The Packers pick an end. And the Steelers with the fifth pick with the Browns' beautiful target on the board and Len Dawson, he gets taken. And so the Browns say, oh, shoot, what are we going to do now? Well, in 1957, 
with the sixth pick in the NFL draft, the Browns select Jim Brown. And their fortunes change yet again. Now, it's important to understand that the running back position and the quarterback position, how they functioned at that time in 1957 is very different than how it functions today. Your typical quarterback at that time is throwing for maybe 1,700 yards, 2,200 yards. They're throwing maybe 17 touchdowns and 20 interceptions. They're not all that efficient. The passing game hasn't evolved. You're not throwing a crazy amount downfield. You're not getting 64% completions or anything. If you're getting 50 I think Otto Graham, who was the greatest quarterback to ever play the game at that time, he retired with something like a 52% completion rate. So the quarterback position isn't as dominant. And you also have to consider the penalties and things that the NFL deals with now. The pressing at the line, it's, it's so much different. And the fact that the Browns were able to get that stability and all that winning out of Otto Graham is incredible and speaks a lot of volume to how ahead of the curve Otto Graham was. But when Jim Brown enters the picture, man, he is the right place at the right time. He's 6'2", he's 230, he's a monster. In the current day, if you were to come out as a running back, you'd say, dear Lord, he's huge. But when you're going back to 1957, when he's as big as a starting guard and he runs as fast as a you know an end, as they called it at the time, but a wide receiver or a cornerback or a safety, I mean, he is he's the super athlete. And he comes in this era where running is such an important thing in terms of how teams operate and how they try to win games. And frankly, it's far more efficient. Because whether they understand it or not, and frankly they didn't, the value of a turnover was so much more, it was so much more in your favor because of how often the ball was turned over through passing the ball to run. Like I said, quarterbacks would get intercepted 22 times, 25 times sometimes in a season. Really, really high numbers. But the running back, you're not going to fumble the ball that much. So Jim Brown, when he joins the Cleveland Browns in 1957, he's he's everything. I mean, he is just so far better than everyone else in the NFL. Because think about this. Jim Brown, his rookie year as a 21-year-old playing with the Cleveland Browns, He rushes for 942 yards and nine touchdowns in 12 games. So it's a a pretty good mark. He averages about 78, 79 yards a game. That gets him the MVP. The next season, in 1958, 
He destroys that mark with a year of maturity, with a guard that comes into the fold that was from that very same 1957 draft, a guy named Gene Hickerson, who had delayed his time a year with the Browns because he had been drafted into the Vietnam War. Well, when that Hall of Fame, soon-to-be Hall of Fame talent joins the team, when Jim Brown gets a year under his belt, when a quarterback uh, that had been drafted with him as well, a guy named uh, Milt, where is it, Milt Plum, When that quarterback, also in that same draft in 1957, when these three guys get together in 1958, he almost doubles the production that he had that had made him the MVP a year before. Again, 1,527 yards and 17 touchdowns compared to 942-9 and the previous year. Jim Brown is amazing. It's not like, oh, he's pretty good. That was a really nice season. Think of when Sean Alexander put something like 27 rushing touchdowns in a year. Like That's the kind of of out-of-this-world production that you're getting, and you're getting it from a yearly basis from Jim Brown. So the Browns, who again had this beautiful, magical union in Paul Brown and Otto Graham and have this falling out, this instability for a year when Graham retires, they've got the most stable, reliable thing, efficient thing that you can find in Jim Brown as a result of this 1957 draft, one of the years where they finally got it Right. Well, I guess you can't say finally because we're looking backwards, but it's it, for, for me, it feels like finally, doesn't it? It's like, man, all these years, it's nice to hear they actually did it at least once. So 1957, Jim Brown gets the MVP. 1958, Jim Brown gets another MVP, leads the league in rushing yet again. I mean, Jim Brown is just... So good for the Cleveland Browns. He's averaging, and and think about this too, he's playing 12 games a year from 1957 through 1960. It's a 12-game season. So in that 12-game season, Jim Brown is averaging 100.6 yards a game one year, 104.8 another, 110 another. He In that 1958 season, his second year in the league, he's averaging 127.3 yards a game. Wow. Wow. Those are some numbers. And when you go and compare it to the guys who are playing 16 games today... Jim Brown, he's he's probably setting, he must have set the record for what would be the single season rushing record, over 2,000 yards, you betcha, with Jim Brown. He had a season in 1963 where he rushes for 1,863 yards in 14 games. He averaged at age 27, 133 yards a game. Oh my God. You don't even think it's possible. But this is what the Cleveland Browns have at their disposal. And so, as a result of having this quarterback in Milt Plum, who does a decent job and he was their second-round pick, having Jim Brown, who was their first pick in this 1957 draft, you've got a guy uh, I mentioned earlier, Gene Hickerson, playing right guard for them, ends up being a Hall of Famer 
in this 1957 draft, the Browns recover from this lost Camelot that they had. And in that first season, with the MVP of Jim Brown, they go to the Super Bowl. Well, the championship, I should say. So they go to the championship and lose. And the next year, they get to a playoff and they lose in the playoff. And after that, it would seem to be a lull if you weren't paying attention. Because the Browns don't make the playoffs and they don't make a championship appearance until 1964. But here's the thing. The playoffs, they really don't actually exist. The NFL at this point is split into two divisions. Think of it as two conferences with six teams apiece, seven teams apiece, depending on the year. And so the winner of each conference, the team with the best record in each conference, played each other, and that was your championship. So the playoffs didn't exist. Now, in 57, again, they made it to the championship. In 58, I said they lost in a playoff. What that means is they they tied for first place with another team in their conference. And from that tie, they lost, and so they didn't get to play the best team in the other side of the league. But don't be fooled. The Browns, despite not making it to a championship game for all these years between 1958 and 1964, they're a hell of a team because they're led by Jim Brown and Paul Brown. Again, Paul Brown, a guy who was a part of 10 consecutive championships, which it still blows my mind. So together... The Browns, they don't have a losing season. You know, they're running through their their placement in the conference. There's second place, second place, third place, third place, second place. Good seasons, 10-4, and 8-5-1. I mean, they're not a slouch by any stretch of the imagination. And they're playing good football because Jim Brown is consistently leading the league in rushing. I mean, throughout his career, to put this whole thing in perspective, Jim Brown leads the league in his uh, nine-year career. He leads the league eight years. Eight! He's the leader in rushing. So Jim Brown is, is playing great football in his own right. I've given you some of the numbers of how fantastic he was and how above and beyond he was, record-setting he was. And so you're getting that efficient football, and they're they're a good team. Their quarterback, Mitch Plum, had back-to-back Pro Bowl seasons in 1961, but or 60 and 61. But here's there's a couple of tough factors here when it comes to the Cleveland Browns and why this 57 draft isn't able to dominate with the generational player in Jim Brown. And it's because at this time in the league, you're seeing a bit of the birth of the quarterback. You know, I talked about Otto Graham a little bit, and Otto Graham was a great player. His career completion percentage was a 55.8. So he, he was a good player. He was efficient enough. But the guy who signals to me a a big change in the way that quarterbacking was played and how you can benchmark the success, it's a guy named Y.A. Tittle, who has a great name. His name is Yelburton Abraham Tittle. Yelburton. That's a fun one. 
So why a tittle towards the end of his career as a 35-year-old goes to a rival, a division rival for the Browns in the New York Giants? And Tittle sets such a high standard for what you would expect from the quarterback position. Because in 1962, he throws 53% of his completions. He throws for 3,200 yards, 33 touchdowns, and 20 interceptions. That is a year. But the next year, 1963, I mean, he blows that out of the water because he throws 60% completions. He throws for about 3,200 yards again with 36 touchdowns instead of 33 and 14 interceptions compared to 20. I mean, minus the yardage, that's a successful season in the modern era. And Y.A. Tittle's throwing like this in 1963. So while he's doing this for the New York Giants, he's part of that roadblock that the Browns can't get past. And really in this whole stretch from from 1958 to 1963, the Giants are in, I think, five title games. And so the Browns just, each time, it's the only team they can't beat. Really, they go 0-2 one year, 0-2 another year, 0-1-1, 1-1, 1-1. They just can't beat the Giants with Y.A. Tittle. They're, they're too good. Frank Gifford is on that team as an Eagles fan. You might know him primarily as being the guy that Chuck Benneric just knocked the fuck out in that infamous picture. But Frank Gifford was a really good player in his own right as well, and he was still in his prime. So Frank Gifford as well as Y.A. Tittle, it's this big roadblock, and and the Browns, even with Paul Brown, a great coach, and Jim Brown, a transcendent running back, They just can't get past this new wave type of quarterback that you start to see in Y.A. Tittle. Also, Norm Van Brocklin is in this era. Johnny Unitas is in this era. These are the names that you start to hear of when you think of the the real birth, the, you know, flying out of the nest for the first time of the passing game. This is that era. Jim Brown is, is, again, right at that right time. He's this great running back in the era where the passing game isn't quite so developed yet and that's why he dominates with all these rushing records and and all the other things that I've talked about so that's one problem is they're dealing with the New York Giants and the New York Giants in the 50s and early 60s are great but the other thing for this 57 draft class that again is is a really good one Paul Brown After the 1961 season, or the 1962 season, I should say, he gets fired. Because a new owner, Art Modell, who had um, bought the team in 1961, he didn't get along with Paul Brown all that well. He would publicly complain about Paul Brown's play calling in in the press box and things. And you know what? Art Modell wasn't the only one. I had mentioned a quarterback who was drafted with Jim Brown, a guy named uh, Mitch Plum, or Milt Plum, rather. Milt was traded after back-to-back Pro Bowl seasons by Paul Brown as a quarterback 
because he questioned the play calling. So Art Modell, the new owner of the team, he's doing the same thing, ultimately fires Paul Brown. And Paul Brown is, it's like, how? When you read this in the papers, Paul Brown makes 11 championship appearances. He's got seven wins. He won in the first five that he ever played in, although some of those were in a different league called the All-American Football League. And his overall record with the Browns, he goes 158 and 48. He's unreal. He He's a legend. And Art Modell fires him. So you've got a change in head coach. You've got a change in quarterback. You've got this Giants dynasty. And Jim Brown, who's the jewel of this 57 class, he just keeps hitting that glass ceiling. Keeps losing to the Giants, keeps losing to the Giants, keeps losing, keeps losing. But things change in 1964. Because, frankly... Why a tittle is old. Frank Gifford is old. The Giants age, and not only do they age, they completely nosedive. They end up with the season being 2-10. and ten. It is a steep and sharp decline for the Giants. And so at 38 years old in 1964, why a tittle finally breaks. And he throws 10 touch. He goes from 36 touchdowns and 14 interceptions to 10 touchdowns and 22 interceptions. And so the Giants crumble. And with that, the Cleveland Browns, with Jim Brown, they finally get their chance. This is their moment. All this stuff that built since 1957 when Brown came and they continuously just lead the league in rushing and and Gene Henderson who's the the guard that they have and or Hickerson and and he's given them hall of fame level blocking and they're running this great efficient running game it it's finally comes together and in 1964 as the giants crumble the browns finally with Jim Brown get an NFL championship now here's the thing. That championship is more than a memento for a Browns fan. But as a Cleveland fan, that is the milestone championship. That is to say that when you consider the curse of Cleveland, so the Cavaliers, the Indians, the Browns, the last title that the city ever won was 1964 with Jim Brown and uh, Gene Hickerson of the 1957 draft class. So it's it's a beautiful thing to see how this class finally gets the opportunity to capitalize, to break through and get that title. And then you just see the long wave of disparity that follows Cleveland after they win this title. And it begins the next year because the Browns go for a repeat. They make it to a championship game yet again in 1965, and they lose. Now, the heartbreaking thing about all this is that Jim Brown 
has an MVP season. He leads the league in rushing in 1965. And after losing that championship, he never plays a down again. Because Jim Brown was on a movie streak, if you will. He was a big star. Think of what O.J. Simpson was. Jim Brown is the first O.J. Simpson. He's got his own weekly radio show. He's very popular in the media and with the fans. And he's a great, great, great player. And so Jim Brown is filming a movie after the summer of, or after the season in 1965. And as things happen with movies, the production was behind schedule. Jim Brown being a part of the movie is therefore, uh, he's held up from going to training camp. And Art Modell, still the owner of the team, puts down a hard-line stance, says, Jim, I'm going to fine you $100 for every day you don't show up. You have to be here. It's only fair to the players. And Jim Brown, who at this time has almost every record imaginable. I mean, he has the record for single-season rushing yards, career rushing yards, rushing touchdowns, total touchdowns. He's an eight-time league rushing champion. He's a three-time MVP. Eight-time Pro Bowl. He says, that's your ultimatum? You're going to find me? You're going to force me to leave this movie and, and this other career path that I'll need after football? I'm out of here. And so Jim Brown retires. And the greatest member of that 1957 class hangs it up. Now, Gene Hickerson, who was also part of that 1957 class, and again, he's he was the guard for that team, he sticks around a little bit longer, and he actually plays through, I mean, 1970, he's still getting Pro Bowl, and he's getting uh, first-team All-Pro mentions at, like, age 35. So Hickerson stays with the team for a good while longer, has a very successful, well-recognized, again, Hall of Fame career after the fact, and and Jim Brown, meanwhile who could have played longer because, again, he was the MVP and leading the league in rushing when he retired at age 29. Kind of retired out of spite. So that 1957 class, one of the best classes that the Browns ever had, ends with the title. But it's not as many as you, you think they could have had. And so it's something, as a Brown fans, you celebrate. And, and as a fan of the NFL, you, you appreciate the the fragile nature of things, how tough it is, how opportunistic you have to be in the NFL when you have these windows to win. Because for the Browns, it was that constant ceiling with the Giants and that rare opportunity. And then when they had that window with the Giants down, well, they blow it. Art Modell, the owner of the team, blows it. And they don't win again. And they haven't won again. And the city of Cleveland hadn't won again until a guy named LeBron came back to town. So it's just interesting to see how the end of the greatest dynasty the football's ever seen, a 10-year championship run, was in Cleveland and led to 
maybe the great one of the well at least definitely one of the greatest players the league has ever seen. I mean, so far ahead of his time. And so that is upon further review for the week. And if you've enjoyed the show, let me know on Twitter at it's Vince Quinn. Would love to hear from you there. Also, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you're listening, uh, five-star ratings and good comments and all those things, they go a long way. It's a new show. People aren't aware of it. All of that stuff helps us get it out. Now, before I wrap everything up entirely, i got to mention that there's an interesting note here. When you look back at the draft itself, the 1957 NFL draft, it's 30 rounds. 30! And it was so long, and, and here's how bizarre it is. Like, you think of the NFL draft and how it typically goes. When they get the 4th, 5th, 6th, and 7th round done in a day, it feels a little slow. It's it, You're not paying much attention to the picks. The way they did it in 1957, they split it out 30 rounds over two days. One was in November, another was in January. They did four rounds on that first day in in November. And 26 rounds were done on January 1st. So, amazing and shocking. And I don't know how you do all that, but incredible that they did it. And they also did it in Philadelphia. So, there you have it. Again, I'm Vince Quinn. You can find me on Twitter at It's Vince Quinn. All those good ratings on Stitcher, iTunes, whatever, are appreciated. And they're appreciated for the other programs that we uh, produce here on Bleeding Green Nation, BGN Radio, as well. So thanks again for listening to the show, and I'll see you next week.